Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so, so much for stopping by for this latest episode of Chat with Friends. Uh, this series where I just invite somebody on, whoever is interested, uh, whoever's interesting, and uh, a lot of it's Twitter, <laughs> as much as I try <laughs> to cut back my uh, Twitter usage, every once in a while something happens. Uh, and so there was a thread that was posted on Twitter recently by my friend over here. I used this opportunity to get to know him, and we've been talking before the channel, uh, before the chat, having a real good time. You know him as the Space Biff. Uh, he has a very, very prominent blog, so prominent that a lot of board game designers are like, I hope that I get my game lit up on the Space Fifth <laughs> because that is a, a marker of that I have arrived. He has that much notoriety in this space. Uh, so that he is um, a very interesting person. We wanted to have him on for a long time, and we finally made it happen. We're going to talk about content. We'll talk all about that. But first, let me introduce Dan Thoreau, the Space Biff. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much, Jason. This is exciting. All right. I, I, I'm so excited. It's like board, I'm knocking off <laughs> all my board game celebrities, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, like as I said, so we I mean, we could talk about anything. I mean, read the Space Biff, the blogs, and there's also a podcast. I mean, this is a, a very intelligent man uh, with a lot of different thoughts just kind of like swirling around a lot. Uh, now I'm, I'm pumping you up. You got to live up. To I know. This now. now I'm going to have to use some big, some real 50 cent words. <laughs> Although what I will say is I think that the intelligence is very countercultural. We're going to have, a, we're going to have kind of a countercultural critical of the board gaming, like scenario today. Like we're going to, we're going to lay down some criticisms. And it isn't like, okay, we're going to criticize you. We're canceling things. It's just, you know, we're going to, we're going to uh, throw out some questions in one particular phrase. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But first, because it's your first time on the show, please introduce yourself to the audience and let them know what you are all about. Uh, okay. So my name is Dan Thoreau. I am, uh, I am a historian. That's what I do most of my time. I'm currently on sabbatical because uh, I have a two-year-old and a seven-year-old daughter. And so uh, it was one of the nice things about academia is it's a little bit more flexible than working in healthcare, which is what my wife works in. Mm. So when my daughter was born, um, I took off some time so that I get to hang out with them in the morning and then I work in the afternoon, um, which sometimes I say that and people are like, well, that's not that's not like a career. But uh, <laughs> and it, which is just such a depressing, what a sad state of affairs. Yeah, Even right. Like, kids, what, so when fun. did work become drudgery? Like, who who yeah. kidnapped work and made it into drudgery? I don't like that. I know Stockholm syndrome work into thinking it was awful. No, it's uh, so that's my favorite thing. That's probably my primary car career right now is just hanging out with my two daughters every day, and that is uh, that's the most fun thing in my life. Second most fun thing is I do write a site called Space Biff that focuses a lot on uh, let's talk about board games mm -hmm. and let's talk about them as though they're cultural artifacts. You know, what, what are these things? Uh, what does it mean to our culture that these things are here? And try to talk about them in that light instead of, do you want to buy this? Mm -hmm. um, is this thing worth $20 or $40? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what my, uh, I would say I'm about. And, let's uh, rank the board games and let's go ahead and I'm going to take 10 board games and I'm going to do this. And, you know, uh, which uh, it, we are going to try to not, you know, kind of go off too much in that tip. But yes, there is I, I there is a sense in which we are going to be critical of certain the way certain we the way we approach board games and board game coverage in general. And we're going to try to you know, introduce a little bit of a, um, a different wrinkle on it. And people know where I'm coming from because I did a whole video called uh, It's Not Just a Game. Right. And I oh, talked okay. about it in terms of mental health. So like, you know, when we're um, a lot of times like people getting mad or upset or, you know, uh, it's like it's not going off the table. What's the thing that you say? It's like, come on, man. It's just a game. Yeah. You know? And it's like, no, it's not. It's not like we wouldn't spend right. all this time. We wouldn't spend all this money if it was, quote unquote, just a game. Right. Well, I wish I'd watched that beforehand. I've been thinking a lot about the magic circle yeah. and how, you know, Huizinga, when he proposes it, you know, it's this space where we can enter into it and think about ourselves in a counterfactual way. But our, our modern society has almost hijacked it to mean 
I get to be a jerk. Um, <laughs> I get a break. I get a <laughs> Yeah. Like I get to sit here and be a jerk to you. And if you're losing, you just have to suck it up for two hours. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I, it's just such an unfortunate way that we have this beautiful theory about what play can mean to us. And we've, we've just turned it into something. It was never meant to be all over again. So we'll, uh, we, uh, as I thought was going to happen, we're going to have bring up all sorts of stuff. Um, so maybe we'll we'll circle back to that concept because I I do have a lot of thoughts about the magic circle. Um, but there is a con- uh, a topic that I wanted to address today, and the reason I'm addressing this topic, I actually was going to think about doing a monologue on this because this is this has been something that's been I'm thinking about and kind of rumbling in the back of my brain, and it's like a reflection on what I'm doing, like yeah. what am I making. Right. I, you know, I, I at this point, uh, Shelf Stories is almost a year old. Mm-hmm. Yay. Uh, and I've made over 100 videos. Right. And just wow. You know, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, that's amazing. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes it's playthroughs, sometimes just me turning on the phone and talking for like five minutes. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it, and or the chats like, you know, I just I do weekly chats and that, yeah. that's 50 of them right there. And just turn on Zoom and have sure. an interesting conversation. So what am I doing? You know, and what do I call it? And there was a, a poll recently on, I, I forget exactly which, which, which one of the groups it was, but it was a Tim Vernick who works with uh, Thunderworks was saying, okay, what do you call yourself? And the biggest, like the highest thing was content creator. Yeah. So like there's a do- bunch of options, media and uh, reviewer and, you know, or, or whatever, uh, video photographer, there are these different options, but like content creator. Yeah. The top one. And you had a tweet. Uh, you could cut you it, when you talk about content, and that's what got me started. So if you remember what you said in your tweet about content creator, go for it. Okay, man, I should I should just pull it up or something. I'm I'm so unprepared. <laughs> well, basically, I I you know it's I I should I should I should hedge this a little bit because there's always this sense when I say something like this that someone uh, assumes that I mean that I think that that term is beneath me. And that is not the case. I think that a content creator is a, is a thing. And furthermore, I think that's a valuable thing. Um, especially if we're approaching the hobby in terms of, you know, I read reviews uh, and here I'm saying uh, defining a review as something that I read in order to make a purchase decision, right? Because I don't have all the money in the world. Um, I re- I read reviews for all sorts of things. Right. You know, I, for movies, for washing machines, for board games. I just did it for hiking boots. I just read a bunch of reviews right. for hiking boots to see if I could if, uh, rock with the one that was on Prime Day. And I shouldn't be saying that I did something right. on Prime Day. <laughs> well, no, and I did too. You know, I bought a vacuum cleaner on Prime Day. And so, and of course I read reviews. So that can be valuable. And other senses in which content can be meant, that can also be valuable. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying that I'm above this. I'm just saying that, we use it in such a broad way and it's so hard for me to divorce it from its historical context that it's just imprecise. I, I, I tend to regard what I do in many ways as sort of an antithesis to content creation mm-hmm. um, that, it, that I just feel like it's really weird to take these, you know, these two roles that are meant to be set apart, set against each other, really. Um and, and call them the same thing like content and reviewer yeah Those two things yeah yeah or 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 even like content and uh critic or even if we need a catch-all term you know it which i think is fine at a certain level we're just talking about different stuff i really do just like media right um you know in media studies we might sit down and and examine the entire spectrum of what's being produced around a medium and so i like media um, but content creation to me occupies a very particular slot within media uh, of a medium. Mm-hmm. And I, I, when, when people reach out, basically my comment was when people reach out and say, hey, I love your content. First of all, I totally appreciate the compliment. I'm not going to sit and nitpick a compliment. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I, it might make me feel awkward, but I'm going to say, oh, thank you. That's very, I, I'm glad. I'm glad that it's been meaningful to you. Um, but I, my beef is mostly just that it's inaccurate. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Do you uh, feel like you're producing content right now? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, okay. And this is the, the thing that I emailed you, right? So 
my gut instinct, my gut gut instinct. I come from from where you come from. I'm a little bit of a you know older person, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I remember the internet when it kind of began, and the idea of content, right? So let's now you know well, let's get into it. So like we we just set the scene. It, night round the, right now the term is pretty accepted, right? Yeah. And now we're just, we're not talking about like content. I'll say content with a with a small c. Right, just sure. content, right? Yeah. The way that I learned it and the way I grew up with it, when it was content, what I'm calling content with a big C, like in a big scary content. Yeah. And what do I mean by <laughs> content? Co- what I mean by content is like the listicles, the the flashy, like, okay, here's seven reasons to do this. And, you know, here is a bunch of pictures of cats falling off the chair. And while you're watching the picture of the cat, right in the middle of the cat falling off the chair, there's an ad. Yeah. And or and like the content in the in the way of like I'm going to fill your feed with garbage. Mm-hmm. Anything, anything to grab your attention. Yeah. Right? And you know and and you know we're going to and when I have your attention then I have your data and I can sell your data and and do the whole thing, do the whole internet thing. Right? Yeah. And so when I think and I I don't know if that's where you mean I think you, you, I think we're probably close to the same page. Let me know. But like, that's what I, that when I hear content, I hear like stuff that is generated to just fill time, waste time, steal attention, just, just poop in our brains, take it out and just like <laughs> commodify my attention into something that you can sell. And it's going to like make, might make my life worse because yeah. that was time that I could have spent Ooh. doing something enriching and something fun and something learning, whatever, whatever. But I stood there watching content. Yeah. And I think content, you know, and I I agree, especially in the sense when you talk about commoditizing something. So I think that, you know, when we look at the history of what we would term content marketing, we do see a lot of quality content. Uh, I mean, content as a concept doesn't catch on because it's bad. Right. Um, in the, fact, it catches on. The original thing is like, I'm going to fill your brain with crap. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's 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 the idea of content taken to its it's kind of logical, most bang for your buck, cheapest. You know, it's taffy. It's just no one likes it. No one wants to eat taffy. But if that's the candy you have, that's what you'll eat. You know, and and when we look at the history of content marketing, it can be so many things. You know, like some of the original uh, ideas of like cross promotion, which is really where content has its birthplace, is is really useful stuff. Um, you know, you have you have you have big giants like Johnson and Johnson publishing manuals on how to treat wounds, right? And you know, uh, that's great. Multiple times in my life, I have been advantaged by knowing how to treat a wound. You know, but Johnson and Johnson was also doing that to sell band aids, right? And because in, in that manual, it talks about, well, here's bandages. And of course, Johnson and Johnson's bandages already have these features. So they reduce the steps mm-hmm. and, and there's all these things, you know, John Deere's the furrow, um, you know, the um, Benjamin Franklin's poor Richard's almanac, you know, all of these things are useful. They're good. Um, but then what happens is when the internet comes along, exactly what you're describing happens. Where, yeah, so these companies come along and they're going, well, rather than just doing something quality, why don't we just do a lot of it? Quantity. Yeah. We're going to shift from quality to quantity. Right. And we're going to stuff you so full of taffy that you're not going to be hungry for anything else. There won't be, you can't have a steak dinner. You don't get a salad. You don't get chips. You don't get fries. You get taffy down your throat. And, and, and so when I say that, of course, that sounds demeaning. And it seems like it's contradicting what I said earlier. Um, I think that there are a lot of people who don't realize they're making content in that sense, Mm. Um, that they are basically working for a publisher in this industry to sell board games and that there's an expectation that the content you generate is therefore going to be positive. It's going to be fluffy, fluffy. It's going to be kind of lightly humorous. It's going to be appealing in this, in this superficial way without really saying anything. Um, It's meant to fill you up. Now that's of course not true of all content, sure. but it's true of a lot of content. Right. Um, I, I think, okay, so let's, 
I, 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 I don't want to be really clear. I think we're trying to be careful here because we don't want to say anything like bad uh, you right. know, about I, the people well, I don't that are be like, making stuff. Right. And I don't want right? to be like, Rado makes empty content. Yeah. <laughs> empty <laughs> calories, Rado. <laughs> I know you're watching, Rado. I'm calling you watching. out, Rado. <laughs> you know, that is not what I mean. And I think there's some wonderful stuff going on. Right. Um, I think like, I, I, so maybe it's like this. So it's like, okay, you have a bunch of people. And to me, like, you know, having done this and how hard this is or can be like, you know, anybody who sits in front of a camera and makes something and has like an audience is like, to me, that's, that's pretty valuable. And I'll talk to that about that a little bit later, but like when we make the thing, then we, and we put it and we post it. Right. And we post on YouTube, we post, or you post on your blog or whatever it is. Then it enters like a, a kind of a capitalist bloodstream. Yeah. Right. And then it is, it's like, it's that process that turns our product productivity and our creativity into content. Yeah. Is that, is that a fair way to kind of think about that? Yeah. And that's what I mean when I say a lot of people are producing content sort of unwittingly. I've done the same, you know, I I've written, um, you know, especially in the first years when I was writing board game reviews before I had a clear idea of what I wanted to do, you know, whenever you start doing anything, what do you do? You imitate, Right. And so I, you know, there were a lot of forum reviews, you know, reviews didn't tend to be negative. Um, and, and I did the same thing. Um, and, and I shouldn't blame that entirely on imitation. It was also just me, you know, coming into the hobby and not having developed a sense of taste, not having played enough stuff that I'm like, oh, no, this game is garbage. I was just happy to be playing a game. And so, of course, I was writing positive coverage for it. And then, of course, that immediately gets picked up. It's being shared by the publisher. Um, and none of that on its own is inherently bad. It's mm -hmm. that entire ecosystem right. that really leverages that and turns you, it reduces you from here's a work that somebody spent time on into here's this disposable thing that's just kind of flitting past your eyes, you know, like, like a dream in Willy Wonka's weird you know, boat ride cavern, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it, it has no meaning anymore. Right. It wouldn't, when, when you, so, you know, to describe like the process of content, right. So like when we take what we produce and it becomes content, right. And with a capital C content. Uh, and uh, the reason I'm using capital C is um, uh, I highly recommend, and I, I mentioned this to you, uh, Bo Burnham's inside. Yes. It is a wonderful Netflix series and he is a biting critique of a lot of things but one of the things he talks about is content. We yeah. have mountains of content. Uh, and you know and and the, the the point of the movie is that his his life is empty because yeah. that's what his that's what you know what is content? Content is designed for quantity and it's designed to grab your attention. Yeah. Right? And he can't you can't get enough attention and that's part of that that's part of the deal. So then when you putting out a creative thing and we'll talk about like what makes a thing meaningful, like in a little bit, but sure. like, this is what happens when you'd sap the meaning. Yeah. Right. And, and you put it into like the capitalist bloodstream. So it's like, you know, it, 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 it's floating. It's almost like, you know, these, these wonderful little like tributaries and they're kind of, kind of flowing into this big river and, and, you know, full disclosure, like we're, we're I think neither of us are like big, huge fans of capitalism and we have <laughs> our own uh, criticisms of what's going on. Yeah. And this is one of those things where I, I feel like I have to measure my words. Um, we're, we're just, I, I, I am such an, I'm such not a fan of this sort of lurching capitalism that refuses to examine itself. Right. Yes. You know, that, that, you know, even Adam Smith, you know, when people are like, Oh, wealth of nations explains all this stuff. And I'm going, you need to read wealth of nations. Um, it is not talking about this, right? It's you not know, talking I, about as like a as like an article of faith almost. Like it's yeah, become kind of a religion of like the it market has. will solve things and like just put it in the right. market and the and things will kind of work out. It's like how is it going to work? Or what are the mechanics of it? How do we? What if it doesn't work out? What are we going to do then? It's like, Ooh. well, and it's been sort of co opted into this weird way where I'm supposed to believe that the levers of the market should never be touched by an outside force that's really not what Adam Smith is saying. Right. And, you know, he, he, when he's writing wealth of nations, I mean, many people forget that it's basically published on the eve of the American revolution in part because of a mercantile system that's being abusive and has a bunch of enforced monopolies. Mm -hmm. Those monopolies don't go away on their own. They're broken up. Right. And so, so when people bring this up, it, it's just, we have this capitalist system that I wish we would, you know, if we're not going to do anything to change that system, 
it's not going to improve or at least question it or at least like prioritize right. what's happening. So like, yeah, this is what happens when I invite a historian on the show. Oh, it's just, <laughs> it, I, I just, it, you know, the context in which something was written or created, I think is so important to what is it actually saying? Well, it's saying more than the text. It's responding to arguments in its day. Um, and the same is true, true right now. Right. I mean, like, uh, so right there on your shelf, you've got space alert. Space alert makes so much more sense when you understand kind of this post-Soviet context yeah. that it's basically what, what would have happened if the Soviet Union had won the Cold War? Well, instead of Star Trek, you get kind of this dumpy, you know, mass-produced <laughs> future. Um, and, and, and things like that, I think, really enrich our okay. understanding. But there are so many forces pushing against that enriched understanding. Right. Uh, that's just tragic, I find. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're talking about. Like we're talking about that the the commodification, the contentification, right? Uh, and uh, we have to be very careful. Like, know people call themselves content creators, and that's the context. But we're talking about this other con, uh, this other um, context in which we understand content. I think it's getting lost. Like, I think it's getting lost when we just call ourselves content creators to kind of call it a day. Like, it's a it might be a little bit of a problem because it's like you know, I I really on my gut in my gut or like I. I you asked me before, am I making content? And like every part, like there's a little part of it that's like, no, yeah. no. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> no. it's, you know, it's happy and meaningless and everything. But like, we have to be careful that when it's entering into that, that capitalist bloodstream and that marketing bloodstream, like really what's what we're critiquing marketing. Yeah. You know, and, we, and, and I know you have a lot to say about like, you know, when it comes to like the marketing end of board games and all that. Well, and, and that's one of those things that I, I have been really surprised at how much trouble I've gotten in uh, for just, you know, I wrote an essay a little while ago, and I think this is maybe what you're alluding to, um, entitled The Price is Wrong, where I just wrote about, I think that it would behoove critics and reviewers to consider not talking about price. Right. And I used some pretty strong language in there. Um, and, and the reason I did that, a few people have correctly identified that as a bit of a rhetorical tool. Um, that, that yes, I'm speaking strongly. And the reason I am is because the default is to have commoditized board games so fully that there's no other way to have that conversation than by shouting. Um, and so for me, I, I pointed out that to me, um, a board game should not be its price. And to say, well, a board game, you know, but we have to buy board games, except that captures such a small slice of our experience. In fact, I would argue that the vast majority of people who play board games aren't the ones buying the majority of board games. Mm -hmm. um, so in my group, I am the only one who actively purchases or is sent board games. Uh, everyone else, you know, they they along for the ride, baby. <laughs> yeah, they're along for what did, the what ride. What did Dan bring today? <laughs> exactly. And in a lot of the other groups I've, I've visited, that tends to be the situation that everybody might buy two or three games, but that means that between all of them, they're playing 15 games. Um, and by the same token, you know, you can also trade for games. You can find games at goodwill. You can steal a game. You know, there are so many ways to experience the range of this human thing we call play. Uh, as expressed in the tabletop hobby, that to reduce it to the commercial, I just find incredibly reductive. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you, how am I supposed to quantify that for you? So, you know, I've met you and I've talked to you and I like you, but I have no idea what a dollar is worth to you. You know, you, you might have a great career. You might be richer than me or poorer than me. You might be homeless for all I know. Uh, you know, this, this Calyx that you've got here of board games might be at your buddy's house. I know so little about your situation that me telling you that a game would be worth $40, but not $65. And now we have to talk about people in New Zealand. And now we have to talk about, you know, I have readers in other, you know, on all sorts mm -hmm. of continents, in all sorts of situations. I just find it impossible to even have that conversation. Um, and people were upset that I pointed that out. And I had a lot of people saying, you know, this is a bad idea. This is really going to tank your site. And I've been doing it for like three or four years already. Um, you know, this was just finally when I said, hey, I'm not doing this. And, and that's when people got upset is when I said, I'm not going to talk about board game prices. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, for me, it's, a, it's an attempt to both acknowledge that 
yes, my, um, when a publisher sends me a game, of course, there's that expectation that it's marketing. But that doesn't mean that I, as someone who's trying to review the game or critique the game, can't be trying to at least approach this thing more culturally or artistically. Um, I, 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 you know, I don't think I can fully escape marketing just the way I don't think anyone fully escapes, you know, their complicity in a complex system like mm -hmm. capitalism or like a nation state. But I can at least try to elevate something else. Mm -hmm. You know, let's talk about these things as artistic, uh, on their artistic merits or as narratives mm -hmm. or as things that teach us something about ourselves or about history. Uh, I, I just want that conversation to be more pronounced than the commercial. And relating into this current discussion, if board games kind of like reduce the price and value proposition for a lot of people, then what we're doing reduces often to clicks. Yeah. Right. And that's the that's the that's the video and the audio and that's that version of it. So it's like when you measure content and that's where we really get into like what content is measuring content pretty much comes down to how many how many clicks. Yeah. How many, you know, how many shares, how much engagement, right? So like a publisher will say, and they'll, and it's funny because they'll like publishers tend to call all of us reviewers. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, how much do you pay for your, how much do I charge for your review? And you know, how about to review? So it's like, I don't do reviews on my site, but like, they just say that anyway. So like, yeah. as an example, how loose these words are, but anyway, so then, but a publisher will tend to, some are better, but like most of them will look at the numbers. Yeah. How many subs? How many, you know, uh, your, your individual pieces? How, where are you on social media? Are you on TikTok? Are you on Instagram? Are you doing this? And it's a, it's a reality system. It's nothing against the publishers. Like they have to, because margins are so slim. They have to like kind of maximize whenever they give it. But like the effect is when evaluating content, it's about how high the number is. Yeah. It's, it, you know, with the algorithm, like who sees this thing? the higher the number, the more likely that person is even going to see it. Right. Yeah. So then that, and then when we get into that mindset of like, okay, now I'm producing content with a big C, right. And now then it becomes a numbers game or it can be that that's the trap. Yeah. And so how do I do things like the top of my podcast before? So it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Uh, my podcast, the, the bigger numbers were for top 10 list. And for the longest time, I resisted top 10 list. And then towards the end, I'm like, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I ended the run of the podcast in like 10 straight top 10 episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to end it on a bang. <laughs> and, and it's you like, ended and with then, your and best it, numbers ever. It, right? <laughs> and then it's like, you know, so, it, you know, we want to say like we're artists. We want to say we're creative. We want to say and we do whatever. But there's this constant pull. Right. And, and that the constant pull towards like quantity and measurement and engagement. And that's the language to me, whenever people talk about content, that's, that's what it triggers in me. I'm not saying it needs to trigger that in you, but it just, I wanted to take this time to really reflect and say, I want to at least have that conversation. Yeah. Of the, the engagement and the numbers. And it's like, you know, that's what calling something content means. And it's like, Oh, let's, let's really unpack this and really, really consider whether we want to own the full availance of what that word means. You know, one of the things that I think is, is the case is that it, you know, it's so easy to look at those things and, and become cynical like, uh, oh. you know, so on your recommendation, I watched inside by Bo Burnham and I'm glad you recommended it to me uh, because I loved it. And of course there's this <laughs> irony at its heart, right? That right. Bo Burnham is producing this thing saying content is empty and here it's probably like the, the most popular thing he's ever done. Um, is, he, is he deriving satisfaction from calling his work empty if that's his work? And I think that we, we see something similar in, in a lot of great work, um, that there are commercial restraints and, and that often there are paymasters and there are, you know, you can't fully escape it. Right. Um, so it's easy to become cynical, right? But I think it's actually very useful to look at those things and, and recognize that often that tension is where very good art comes from. Um, you, know, you know, there's kind of that 
old truism, and I don't know how actually true it is, but how do you ruin like an artist's next work? Give them an unlimited budget, unlimited time, any actor they could want, you know, whatever. And instead of producing something lean and meaningful, they create this like bloated mess. Um, and I can't help but think of like when uh, Arrested Development moved to Netflix yeah. <laughs> and suddenly like they had all this money and time and they didn't have to be 22 minutes long. And I was watching it just like bored. Right. Um, and, and I think that's, I think that's true. I think that that tension uh, that kind of forces us to try to rise above it, the commercial concerns, despite being bound by them, that's an opportunity. Uh, but it's very hard to labor under those constraints and, and kind of keep perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and keep a sense of quality. And, yeah, and so like I've been thinking a lot, and and before you even put you posted a tweet and everything happening, I was thinking of a lot of like, okay, what does it mean to produce something meaningful, right? Because that's what I, I, I ultimately shelf stories. Uh, you know, so I, I put my gaming stuff on other channels. Like I work for the Dice Tower, I work for the One Stop Co-op Shop. I'm gonna put like stuff on the table that's gonna be for those things. I wanted to keep shelf stories, this channel as like my outlet to talk to people and connect with people and have, and produce meaningful content. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, 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 I have no other word for it. Like, like, you know what I'll say meaningful media, right. I mean, sure. meaningful media. And what do I mean by that? I mean like stuff that is, you know, like makes the, like makes people better by thinking or by, you know, kind of like opening some minds, opening some pathways, you know, or, connecting with people just the raw active connection is a meaningful thing you know yeah. getting the comments and, and and talking and you know people seeing my face and everything that's meaningful and the third thing is just something that stands on its own artistically as an aesthetic experience sure. you know um without function so like there's a part of art that can be very functional it's like you know it does this and it does this but there's another part of art that is just like it's there enjoy it yeah does it make sense no <laughs> sure. does it do anything but give you a laugh or make you feel something that to me that's meaningful too and it's like if you're on that spectrum of doing one of those things or maybe in the best thing multiple of those things then you're doing something meaningful right and that's what i really try to go for and my struggle is how do i continue to produce what i consider meaningful work and just inject it into the bloodstream Mm -hmm. of content yeah i get kind of lost and you know because i'll have certain videos that just go viral yeah. Usually it's when I respond to some like uh, creator who just who did a faux pas, <laughs> 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 who did a cultural faux pas, and I'm responding to because sure, I you know the, sure. the people who are following up on that. Um, but but you know that that's uh, that's content too because it's attention grabbing. It's ooh, there's a, there's a person responding, and I try to respond meaningfully, but like I'm entering the bloodstream of ooh, there's a fight, <laughs> right? And, and that right. that uh, it, it it messes with me. It's like, you know, I, I mean, I'm trying to make something meaningful, but am I following this? And is it tempting me to kind of continue to respond and shaping my content, my content in certain ways? I don't know. Yeah. What What do you feel like would persuade you that what you do is meaningful? Uh, I mean, so there's a difference between stuff that you watch and stuff that's worth watching, mm-hmm. right? And so content with like a big C is like stuff that is watched and like every single thing that I make, I want to be able to say, even if it gets 15 views, it was, it's worth watching. Even if it doesn't grab somebody's attention, you know, like I, it, it grabbed my attention, the, the thing that I made. And I know if it had a bigger platform, because there's some people that can like, they're so big, they can like look sideways and they get 50,000 views. Yeah, right. You know, so, you know, and and so like I have to kind of say that to myself where it's like, okay, look, um, I I, I can't care about the views. I have to put stuff out there that is worth watching. And for one of those three reasons, because it's art, because it's a piece of art, because it's it's a connecting with people or it's just like something that makes people think and, you know, grow in some way, informs them in some way. Uh, And you know, it, it, it's a struggle because sometimes like I'll put something out and it, and it gets the 15 views and I'll try <laughs> to, to um, kind of reassure myself that way. But, you know, it, it, entering into that bloodstream, it's a, it's a difficult thing. Like, am I, you know, should I alter my content to like get more views? It's always a always a struggle for me. Yeah. What about what about yourself? Like you, you are very you strike me as somebody that is very like. This is what I do. 
And what, if you like, you like, you don't, you don't, you know, like you strike me as somebody like that, but you know, I don't know, like what, what, what was happening behind the hood for you? You know, for, for me, so I, the first couple of years I I was writing about board games, I had a very small audience and I, I think I reached a point where I was saying to myself, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm getting something out of writing this. Um, you know, I, I personally, I, I feel that something is meaningful if it causes any level of discovery. And, and I'm using a very broad definition of discovery. Mm-hmm. That can mean that I discover something about myself or the topic. That can mean that I discover that I liked a thing. You know, that it doesn't have to be uh, a major revelation to count as discovery. And so for me, I find that process of discovery in the act of writing about the board game. For me, the hobby really is playing and then writing about the game. Um, if I'm not going to write about a game, I'm probably actually not going to play it. Um, but I love that sense of discovery. I love sitting down and I, I have a general feeling about how I feel about a game, obviously. But it's not until I start writing that I discover, you know, I liked this aspect, even though I didn't like the game or I wish it had done this or that. Um, For me, that is, that is so much of what I derive meaning from. Mm. Um, And, and I hope that other people uh, when they read my (laughs) writing, I hope somebody gets that out of it, but it's true that yes, I tend to be a little, uh, you know, if someone doesn't like what they do, what I do, I'm, I'm sure they can find something you know, I, I loved that line from uh, Welcome to the Internet, where he's, you know, if none of this interests you, you'd be the first. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm not for everybody. I'm not going to try to be for everybody. Uh, I'm for me. Right. And I think for me, um, on Shell Stories, I want people to make critical links. Right. Mm-hmm. That at the end of the day, when I do my monologues and when I do these, these things, I want people to think of something in a different way. So I, I guess in, along the lines of what you're trying to do. And when I mentioned the other stuff, like, you know, there are people that kind of emphasize other things, right? So like, I, you know, I follow Paula Deming, you know, from, she's do, she's will watch a play sure. now. And she did like this today, she did this rap. It was like a ABC board game rap thing. It was silly as hell. <laughs> it, was, it was like, it theoretically could be like considered kind of vapid or whatever it is, but like sure. it, from another angle, she's doing art. Yeah, like it's uh, it, it, she. She's changing the paradigm of like how we engage in board games. Her and or, or like Katia, uh, Katia Howitson, she did the board game mosaics. You know, I don't know <laughs> if you've seen those online, but like she takes right. the pieces and she makes it like the different things. And to me, to, that's also meaningful for them. Yeah, you know, and there's so many people doing so many meaningful things. Mick and Starla from our board game family, their their thing is connection and connection with diversity. That's sure. meaningful too. So there's a lot of different ways which we can define meaning. Right. And it's like, I guess it make it does make me a little bit sad to call all to put the the content blanket over all of that. Yeah. You know, and even though we do need a catch-all term, maybe media is that catch-all term, but like the fact that we're putting the content catch-all, and because you know, we might know what we mean, but I have a feeling that there's a lot of people out there that are like they're they're gonna look at Paula, you, me, Mika Starla, and just look at board game people. Yeah. That's that's what kills me. The idea that like that word can enable somebody on the audience end that's like way removed. They're not on Twitter. They're not. On, they're just like kind of following in and they see all this wonderful diversity and they just look at it and go, oh, they cover board games. Great. Yeah. And it's one sheet covering it all. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I am a linguistic descriptivist, you know, one of the things that I think it was Suzanne raised the, the objection that younger people right. have a different view on the word content. And you know what? Fair enough. Um, it, Words it get reappropriated all the time. Like, right. I, I, I and, totally, totally get that. Yeah. And, and that's not a big deal. Like I said, if someone says, hey, I love your content, I'm not going to like, oh, you know, <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to retire to my fainting couch. It's all fine. <laughs> I appreciate the compliment. Um, you know, I, it's just that I'm picky about words that I use. Um, and if other people aren't as picky, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to argue with them all that hard. 
unless they use bespoke incorrectly or something. I don't know. <laughs> like the, the trying to be intellectual word and it just kind of falls flat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess like, so this happens, you know, so every once in a while. So like you get like a post on, you know, um, on Twitter or on Instagram or something like that, they, where people are trying to like, like they'll post about like, you know, being getting burned out. Right. Yeah. They get, you know, they, they, they burnout. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I, you know, and to me, like the major source of burnout is when you're, when your art, art, art and what you produce becomes get caught in the content trap. You know, that, like I have, a, I have, two, I, I have more, I have more review copies than I can play or I want to play or yeah. I have a, a, um, you know, a thing that I do, but I'm no longer in discovery mode with the thing that I, do. I just kind of like do the things. You know, it's yeah. the same segment. It's the same that people and people expect it. So it's like, oh, when you change, people are like, well, what are you doing changing it? Uh, like my old podcast was a solo games podcast. And whenever I would do like, you know, towards the end of the run, I did like other stuff. I'd always get pushed back. It's like, wait a minute. Where where the solo game go? Is that coming back next week? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why that's why I built the channel to be kind of more this channel to be more, a little more open. But like it, it becomes this. And I don't want to like say bad things about the audience, but it just, I, I guess it's like the consumer mindset. Yeah. That I'm going to talking about a little bit more where it's like, you know, you're, you have your audience, but the audience are, ex there's expectations that built into what the audience is expecting. And then the content creator, the, the, the creator is falling into those. Okay. I have to, the, the quantity trap, I guess. Right. You know, I'm loving what you're saying because it's one of those things where a lot of people have reached out to me um, to ask about burnout. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are some absolutely wonderful voices in this hobby that are no longer creating whatever they were doing, uh, content or media. And, and a lot of the time, sometimes it's something yucky like harassment, but a lot of the time it's yeah. just burnout. They got tired of making it. And, and that's, a, that's an insightful point, Jason, that I wonder if, you know, when, are, are you really doing what you want to be doing or are you doing it out of some sense of obligation? Um, because when people have asked, well, have you ever felt burnt out? Well, sure. I mean, obviously there have been times where I've been tired or not as zoned in or whatever, but for the most part, no, um, I really love what I do. Um, that isn't to say this is a full-time career or anything. It's a hobby, but I do write about, about around a hundred games a year. And no, I don't, I don't feel burned out. I love it. Um, I think it's exciting. I think it's fun. I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always discovering something new. I'm always learning from board games. Um, so, I, so, yeah, you know, when you mentioned that you approach things from kind of more of a mental health standpoint, I love what you're saying. Um, and to me, this is one of the reasons that I love engaging with this hobby yeah. is that, you know, we can, we can put a shared artifact on the table that is so crystallized. You know, Space Alert has one set of rules, mm -hmm. whether I'm playing it or you're playing it, but we're going to get very different things out of it. That sense of discovery, I don't think it taps out with just one person. Um, but yeah, I, I think maybe you're right. That could be a place where burnout is coming in. When you get caught in the content trap. Yeah. You know, yeah. When, and, you, when you get caught in kind of this obligation loop. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, it's about the engagement, it's about the clicks, it's about the recognition from publishers. That's also a thing. Yeah. It's, you know, when you get the attention of a bigger publisher where it's like they value you and value being like not in the quality way, but like they value the numbers that you can bring. Right. You know, and you have to be so careful. I don't want to I don't want to criticize any particular person like, you know, like as people, we opt into the system. Right. And there's always this double dimension of what we're talking about. So it's like I talk about a content creator, like the actual creator themselves. I love every I love most of the creators I encounter. I really do. And mm -hmm. that's what uh, and that's what breaks my heart about. The, you mentioned before about cynicism, where I feel like when we uh, like in the context of that system. Yeah, we look we look very much the same. And that generates that resistance that that like, oh, well, you know, here's a bunch of shows and here's a bunch of, you know, they're just kind of, you know, talking about this. And here's you know, right. And. I just, I guess I, I reached out to you because I wanted to just have that conversation to when we call ourselves content creators, what are we really like, you know, what conversation are we short circuiting by just adopting that word uncritically? And I, I get it. People, young, maybe young people just love that word and that's, that works for them. But from the perspective of somebody who is a 
capitalist critic. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a raging socialist. Sorry, people. <laughs> 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 I'm lefty as they come when it comes to this stuff. Where it's like, you know, and, and I, a critic of commodity, uh, um, commodification, like, and I come out from the mental, mental health perspective. I mean, the people that are just exhausted by our system, you know, the people that are just like, you know, they're, they're, I asked them what, okay, what do you, you know, um, they're unemployed now. What are you going to do? It's like, I just have a bunch of, watch, I just want to watch a bunch of Netflix and consume a bunch of things. There's like a whole world out there. Can we, is there anything, did volunteering disappear? Did, did right, like, you know, yeah. walks in the park disappear? Like this thing, these things don't even enter into our brains because of the, the mindset, that bloodstream that we're in. And I feel like board games are a part of that. And, and you know, you've triggered that in your writings. And it's like, we like, that capitalist system, we're, we're just—it's definitely kind of leaching out the color from what could be these amazing experiences and these amazing creators that are making amazing things. Yeah, to me. So, I just wanted to have that conversation. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to kind of like unle- you know, like like lift the cap off of. Yeah, sure. And, and you know, and, and you know, okay, we make content. Well, let's let's really unpack what that means. Right. Yeah. And, and it's a hard conversation for me to have because, you know, I, f- I find that a lot of people seem very certain. <laughs> I feel like I don't know anything um, half the time. You know, w- when you when you talk about this kind of uh, this compulsion to consume, um, this is something that, you know, I, ha- I have some younger cousins who are more in the TikTok generation than I am. And and I'm I'm just blown away by the 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 degrees of depression that they're feeling now i'm not saying that i have no idea if there's more depression or anxiety now oh i know yes it's way up. okay so you know it's way up no no i mean we're talking like in the teens uh in terms of percentages you know Mm -hmm. like you know up you know 14 16 18 percent depending on the demographic and among young people and especially among young women spiking Mm. like really spike because you know the you know the images of like you know, you have to be this interesting. You have to look like this and you have sure. to, you know, all, and all these things like the uh, anxiety's up, depression's up, self-cutting, self-harm mm-hmm. up, suicide up. I mean, every, all that stuff is up because we've, I know this is like kind of beyond board gaming. Like I'm not blaming board gaming or board gaming consecration. Or any right, of this right, stuff, right. But like, this is the bloodstream in which we are entering when we choose to say I'm creating content, when we choose to create content and put it in that bloodstream. Right. That's happening there. When where I'm coming from is I do work with some young people, but it, it it's always from but they're they are very explicitly at risk young people. So so to me, just everyone is anxious and depressed. So I can't gauge like the mainstream, yeah, yeah. you know, is it more or is it less? Um and and growing up I was very anxious. And so to me, that's just the water in which I swim, right? So, so that's interesting to hear from someone with more experience that those are going up. So how, do you feel like there's something we can do to be part of the solution to add meaning uh, to something that is otherwise maybe just zero, you know, empty carbs? Yeah, I mean, I make, you know, and that is, you know, make meaningful content, you know, yeah. approach content with intention. I, like you, you mentioned before, like, you know, when you first joined as like, I love board games. Right. And I, and so you come in, you love board games and you want to make the content and that's great. You know, like, let, let's do that. You know, you know, do your thing and, and, you know, um, you know, produce your blog. And, you know, even if you imitate, even if it sucks, I think it was a, we're not wizards that, that, that kind of very off tweeted thing. Your first podcast will suck. Your first, right, right, right. Suck, your, your first video will suck, but it, and it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. After you get past that initial thing and you have a, either a following and you have that momentum, then I think it becomes important to really get in touch with your mission and your intention. Like, mm-hmm. what do you, what is your intention with making this? And there's, I don't know, I would like to invite people to, you know, maybe the intent is the intention, the quantity stuff mm-hmm. is the intention. The, is the intention, the attention of publishers, of, you know, of people, and that rises above as numbers rise? Or is the intention to put something meaningful in that broader sense of the term? Is the intention to, in my case, make people think, in your case, inspire discovery, in Paula's case, make people laugh and, you know, make people think differently. And, And different, you know, there's all sorts of ways in which people have meaningful stuff, but as long as it's done with intention and not just like, cause, cause it, that's what, that's what, um, content is trying to steal. 
right? Aren't they trying to steal our intention? Aren't they trying to steal our right? Attention? Yeah, I think there is that dimension to it, right? Like, you let's know? take let's take what it is and turn it into an infomercial to to ship more product, right? You know, and once they and once we've given in, once we've given them our intention, once we've given like we we define our intention externally, like they won, yeah. And that that system, whatever that system is, has won. And it's funny to think of it like. You know, like board game publishers. Like I, it's so funny because like I, I know some of them. They're real people. Yeah. Like, you know, like A.G. Porfirio, Ram Rider, and um, uh, uh, Sarah from Renegade, and these all these. I, I know these are real people that I've broken by. Frank West, you know, uh, from City of Games. These are all like really cool people. But it's such a hard thing because you know there's that other layer where it's like, oh, I'm creating value. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a different conversation because now I'm a bigger platform and I can create value for you. It's like, oh man, yeah, wasn't like that. But you know, like you said before, kind of as long as you, you, you there's no escaping that dynamic. Like I don't know what that that you can truly be like an auteur. You know that you're. You know, I don't know. Like, I I think we are seeing that broadly. I think that the 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 content creation sphere for lack of a better word, or the media of board games, I think it is improving. Um, I think we're seeing a lot, a lot fewer of those zero, zero calories going around. You know, I, I think that we're seeing a, a really interesting space where even just 10 years ago, I, I think there were only a small handful of people who were really approaching games thoughtfully and deliberately. Um, and, and it tended to be pretty niche, like it was in war games, war games right? Yeah. Because war games always had a, they were always about a serious topic. Um, so, so you would see people like actually having a discussion about like, well, this isn't modeled correctly. And, you know, do we need the Nazis here? You know, questions like that. But now we're moving into, oh, run away, I Kate. Here's my if you're daughter. listening to the podcast right now, uh, one of uh, Dan's daughters just popped into the screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was I even saying? Oh, no, I just think we are seeing a lot more thoughtfulness. Uh, and I think that's great. You know, we're seeing, you know, some, some outlets that kind of do light and fluffy reviews have done very serious examinations of difficult topics. And I'm not saying that it has to be a... a a serious examination of a difficult topic, mm -hmm. but that's the lens I see this sort of thing through uh, is how well are we treating history? I think we're doing a great job. Uh, I don't think we're there yet, um, but I think we are getting better on the whole and that's encouraging. I, I think that if someone is wanting to start uh, an outlet or a channel, start talking about board games now, it is a great time to do it. Uh, it, it's reached the point where it's percolated outward. Publishers are trying to be more sensitive about issues of representation and history and appropriation. And that was just not even an issue 10 years ago. You know, no one was thinking about that. And I'm going to slice the conversation in half right there. Uh, so we, those are our reflections on content and the concept of content. Uh, and then we get into a separate discussion, which I'm going to turn into a separate podcast on previews and, you know, assessing previews and, you know, paid previews and, and more uh, reflective, uh, hopefully deep thoughts and things that uh, give uh, you out there something to think about. So, uh, like I said, going to end the episode right here. Please stay tuned for the episode next week, which will be more with Dan Thoreau, the Space Biff. So if you can change your mind, it can change the world. So until next time, hey everybody. Hello and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories.